Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, it's Friday. Uh, It's been a roller coaster of a ride in the world in the last 24 hours. Um, And I'm going to give you some information today. By the way, you are listening to Information Edge podcast. I'm Darren Yancey. I'm going to give you some information today that's some additional insight to what's going on there. And I'll tell you where I get the sources and what's going through. I want to take care of some housekeeping first. First off, uh, always you can listen to us live here on Voice America. Go to the business channel. You'll find uh, me there. If you go to my website, Information Edge, I've got the link at the top right-hand corner. You take it, it'll take you there. You can follow me on social media, on Twitter at InfoEdge65, on Gab and Getter at DGYancey65. Um, we'll see how much longer Twitter stays before I go just Gab and Gab and or Gab and Getter and, and, and flush it. The last 24 hours didn't happen by accident, okay? And obviously... What I'm referring to is what's happening in Ukraine with Vladimir Putin and Russia and the person that we have occupying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, which I've been calling him the outlaw for several months, and he is an outlaw based on the number of laws he's broken constitutionally. But I've got a new nickname for Joe Biden, and that is now Joe Fool, because he's been played internationally for a fool. I had a lot of folks that were kind of, oh, this, this is just terrible. This is terrible what they're doing. And oh, they're, they're going around doing all these things to the, all those Ukrainian people. And I'm saying, folks, you're not getting the full story, okay? So let me tell you where I'm getting some of my sources from. And let me tell you where I get some of the information that I'm going to share with you today. There was a time in my life that our office did fuel trading about 12, 13 years ago. Did it for a short period of time. Uh, it was, we had minor success. It was fraught with a lot of fraud. About a year ago, became friends with a gentleman who's an executive in a what's one of the last five fuel refineries on the planet, okay? Independent fuel refineries. And we've kind of been working way back into fuel trading again. And I deal with people all around the globe on this stuff, and we talk, Okay. So what I tell you today is information that's coming from across the pond in these areas and from people that are buying and selling the fuels that go into your tank, into your heating fuel, all kinds of stuff. Okay, so let's get right into this and understand that while there's a lot of hand wringing that's going on, uh, you're not getting the full story here in the United States. Okay, because let me I'm going to throw out a, a what's if and I want you to think about it as we go through today. If we had. The United States, if we supplied natural gas to South America and a Central American nation wanted to build a competing gas line that would render that pipeline invalid and do major harm to our economy, would we sit idly by? Okay. And the answer is no, because it's not in our interest to sit by as a nation. Now, that's uncomfortable for people to even deal with today in the age of cancel culture and wokeism and globalism and all that crap, okay? And what this 
past 24 hours has shown is that it's time for us to take the crowd that wants to kill fossil fuels and literally and figuratively slap them upside the head and get their attention because what has happened is there's a, there's a number of factors that went into yesterday, but make no mistake, Mr. Putin was part of a system that was put into place and built many decades ago. This just happened to be the crux of many, many bad decisions that have come through. Let's talk about Ukraine, Russia, energy, and the Russian economy. Russian is a petrostate, okay? We were a petrostate for many years. We've kind of gotten, we've got technology and real estate and other stuff, but a petrostate means what you're producing to make your revenues are oil, gas, and everything else. Now, we have petro as part of our economy, but we're not a pure petrostate. Russia is. They've got large, large, vast reserves. And about 12 years ago, Russia became the largest producer of crude oil, surpassing Saudi Arabia. A lot of folks didn't realize that. There has been an extensive network of refineries built out to take that crude, as well as other crude that's imported, I'll get to you here in a minute, and re make refined products around the globe. They are also the second largest supplier of natural gas only to the United States. They supply nearly half or greater of the European Union with natural gas. And it's a big chunk of their revenues and a huge part of their national expenses. Okay. Now, they rely on other people's pipelines, and two of them were aging pipelines were in Belarus and Ukraine. Ukraine was getting about $2 billion a year in transit fees from Russia. That's a cost they'd like to reduce, but it, it made them money. They also supplied gas to Ukraine, and there's been some testy issues over how much they should you know, go through. Now, Energy allegiance from Ukraine to Russia has been a vital part of Russia's economic success. Very, very, I mean, you have to understand, this goes back a long, long time. And in fact, I've got this laid out in the blog. If you go to Information Edge, which is the website, go to today's blog. I've got this out now. It kind of mirrors the show. Outlaw Joe and Big Blad Vlad. Excuse me, Big Bad Vlad. Um, and there's things in here and links that you need to understand because this energy allegiance to Russia, there's a reason for it, okay? And it's because, number one, regionally, the Soviet Union was really, when it, when it went from being the empire of Russia to something in between for a few years after 20, 1917 to becoming the Soviet Union in 1922, most of the nations that had been either annexed or taken in by the empire of Russia became the Soviet Union. There's a lot of hoopla that was made in 2014 when Russia took in and annexed Crimea. And a lot of what we're talking about here goes back to 2014 and Bash. I'm, I'm going to build a story and then I'm going to put out some superlatives that we need to examine of, of why what ha happened has happened and what can be done from it and what are some implications from it. You have to understand that both Crimea and Ukraine go back to the 1700s with Russia, okay? Long, long history. They even, when, they, when Russia broke up for a small period of time, they came back as the Soviet Union. So these nations go back a long time, okay? These are people that have the same list, linguistics, uh, the same culture. Uh, they got aunts and uncles and cousins, and, and you got people in Ukraine and Crimea that were Russian. 
then you got those people that that were that, that were Ukrainians and Crimeans that were pro-Russian. Okay, that's one of the things that happens. The reason Crimea became part of Russia again in 2014 is because they wanted to be. These states didn't become independent until 1991 to 1994 after the fall of Soviet Union due to losing to the United States. And a lot of those Baltic and Eastern European states that became independent, some it's worked out very well from, some it hasn't. Crimea was a state that felt that they had not done well being on their independence. And as a matter of fact, what people fail to understand is that when Russia was going to come in there, and I'm going to get to some of the reasons that led up to it in a moment, 97% of their population voted with an 87% saying we want to go back to Russia. That gets looked over. Everybody said, oh, they, they marched in there and killed all. No, they didn't. There was very few, very few deaths, okay? Now, let's get to why are we where we are today? Well, you got to go back to, realistically, you got to go back to 2009, okay? In 2009, we've been here before, okay, folks? We've been here before. This is, and it's Obama and Joe and Vlad. We, we have seen this happen in history before. In 2009, there was an effort to reduce the European Union's dependent on Russian gas. Okay. The reason they wanted to reduce that effort on, your, on Russian gas was they felt. They weren't getting enough options. They weren't getting enough market play, and they were paying out the nose. Pick your choice. And I'm not saying that those were wrong, okay? But what happened was a group of people coming together, led by then-President Barack Obama, started to say, okay, if we, we're going to help you move some things. And the Arab state of Qatar, which is a major supplier of natural gas, proposed a new pipeline to the EU that would cross Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria, and Turkey. It would have brought an entire new supply of gas to the European Union. Why is that important? Well, we just talked about it. Our comrades in Russia sell a chunk of their natural gas. So this was direct competition. Lots of energy dollars here, folks. The U.S. under Obama liked this plan because they felt it would hurt Russia. I want you to go back and look, really go back and look since 2000. Who's been on the aggressive side against Russia? The Democrat Party. There's a company named Euro Energy. It's in Vienna. I know because I was there in 2010. Euro Energy is a, it's not a front, it's a legitimate company, but its shareholders are made of very high-ranking European and U.S. and other nation politicos. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get sued. But there's a lot of people that in this country in politics that go invest in EU so that they don't have to a, report the dollars and that it's hidden from sight. And this new pipeline would have been distributed and built by a company called Euro Energy. And, well, that's part of the story. Here's what happened, though. We had deceased Syrian president Hafez Assad. This guy, he learned to fly jets in Russia, okay? 
1970, he visited Moscow. They got a weapons pipeline going. Syria, as a matter of fact, they were part of the old Eastern Bloc of the former Soviet Union. So in short, they have a history. Now, when Bashar al-Assad came into power in 2010, when his dad died of a heart attack, Putin moved in like a hawk to befriend him. Bashar, in turn, refused to grant permission for this pipeline. Russia's been at his beck and call ever since and will continue to do so. But that wasn't enough to stop Obama. Obama pushed this situation where it pushed Syria into civil war, folks. Barack Obama has massive amounts of blood on his hands for pushing Syria into violence all over a pipeline that they were going to try to make money in. Now, these are facts. I'll give you some links where you go to them here in a moment. So you've got Obama and company essentially starting a war in Syria to try to get a pipeline through, but they lost. They just bottom line was Putin came in there. He, he, he armed Assad. They did the necessary things. It tore the country apart. But you know what didn't happen? That pipeline didn't go through. All that blood over energy. So well, they got defeated basically in 2012. The Obama administration didn't stop. They get reelected. And a couple of years later, they turn to Ukraine as a possible ally, not only to weaken Russia again, but maybe get access to that pipeline that's currently going from Ukraine into the EU. Get a little money out of it. Yes, folks, the people that jump up and down and effectively curse anything that's a fossil fuel and gas is a fossil fuel, and they tell you it's the worst thing uh, in the world, that you're a pariah if you want it, which, by the way, we're going to have to start changing that and do all these things to guilt you, you will find that they talk out of one side of their face and then go do something in the direct opposite. We're going to get into specifics here in just a second on that. And most of this on that, when I get into it, you're going to know. But here's what happened. In 2014, Obama administration reaches out to Ukraine, headed by who? Vice President then and current President Joe the Fool Biden. He headed Policy Matters. Monies started to transfer. We know of at least $2 billion. I don't know how much that the U.S. has actually given to Ukraine since 2014. But you have to go back and look at why did we all of a sudden go to Ukraine? Ukraine had been independent since 1991. Why wasn't it picked then? Why all of a sudden? Well, you got to look at who was in charge at that time. You had the Obama administration with Joe. It was important. Wasn't important to President Trump because President Trump wasn't getting paid off. Oh, we're going to get to that. I'm not going to rehash the adventures of Joe and the gang, but isn't it curious how many members of the Obama administration, as well as current and former members of Congress, have ended up having family members on Ukrainian energy boards? It's not just Hunter Biden, okay? Nancy Pelosi's son. John Kerry's son. I believe Mitt Romney's son as well. And there's a few others. It's not exclusive to the Democrats. 
all of a sudden after 2014 are individuals on Ukrainian energy boards. Now, why would they do that? Well, if that person is getting the money and they're laundering it through a series of folks that are keeping it in offshore, well, that's not going to show up on the tax returns for those members of Congress. Ladies and gentlemen, I've put this in writing. I, I, I'll put before you now that in many ways, foreign aid is a form of a slush fund payback and kickback for members of Congress that put these bills together. We need to examine every dollar that goes out to any nation and effectively we need to stop it. And we need to go back and look at bank records of congressional members and their families during these periods of questionable expenditures. I guarantee it's out there. Again, I'm not going to relive what happened in the 2020 campaign, all the stuff that came out showing Joe, but there's stuff out there where Joe Biden has basically incriminated himself. It was obvious then, and now it's obvious because we need to look at a couple of things. Why do we have troops going over, getting in close to Ukraine? And why was Joe Biden all of a sudden wanting to do sanctions against Russia? Well, we got to go back to 2014 a little bit more. Because, see, here's what happened in 2014. Barry, Joe, and the gang came to the then president of Ukraine, who was a pro-Russian person, and they, and they wanted him to, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? They wanted him to become more of a European-style Ukrainian. They wanted him to get more involved in Europe and get away from Russia. That was designed to weaken that Russian relationship, but also do things that those little scumbags were going to make money on. And again, Russia views Ukraine as little Russia. That's cultural, okay? So here's what happened. Basically, Putin said, don't do that. And the guy didn't. Then he was ousted. And that's when all hell breaks loose in Ukraine in 2014. That's when there was some invasion in the northern part. Because I'm going to tell you something about Vladimir Putin. And this goes back to kind of the topic of when we get in here, when we throw, what would the U.S. do? He's not afraid to put Russia first. And if it's something that is going to negatively impact or hurt the Russian economy, he's going to be a hard ass on it. Now, whether you agree with that or not, you have to respect it. And when you get into more of the information I'm fixing to go through here, you start seeing he's not necessarily the devil that you're hearing about and being portrayed in the news, because I've done a lot of reading up to this, okay, uh, of how he's been portrayed. So again, we're going to go back to 2014. Then the, the president that was pro-Russia, pro-Putin, he's ousted. They want to put someone else in that goes through. Russia comes in to, to basically shut it down. They're not going to go through, and it's and a number of things happen. That's when Crimea gets annexed, and they basically walk in. The Crimeans wanted it. And then there was another group of Russians that go in and took over government buildings in the in two areas of Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk. And they claimed these people's republics. And these are big chunk. These are big chunks of Ukraine, eastern Ukraine specifically. Okay. Um, specific enough where it's 
it's a large chunk of land. You're talking, I don't want to say a third, but maybe 22% of Ukraine. It's a big, big chunk. All right. Now, not only did they go in and take that over, but then they said, okay, let's keep it legal. They go to the people in these regions to have a vote if they want to become part of Russia. It's 2014. The people overwhelmingly vote to become part of Russia again. But Moscow rejected the motion at that time. Now you got to remember that. But this was sent to the UN. Now you might want to go, well, okay, you're telling me that Crimea, which was part of Ukraine at that time, wanted to go back to Russia. You're telling me that two sections of eastern Ukraine wanted to go back to Russia. Why was why would that happen? What could that possibly what, what could be the meaning behind it? Well, I go back to my earlier statement that after the Cold War, that all of the, the states that had been part of the Soviet Union that went and became independent, not it, independence wasn't great for all of them. In the case of Ukraine, one of the reasons that Obama and Biden identified Ukraine as a potential foothold to come in is they knew that the political hierarchy in Ukraine and the business model in Ukraine had corruption and was accessible to corruptibility. They didn't just pick them out of the water. And there was a reason for that. And these, and these particular, the, the political hierarchy and, and a lot of the upper class business hierarchy, you got a lot of money that's flowing through Ukraine for minerals. But they weren't seeing a lot of the results going out in jobs and monies for the people. So you had sections of Ukraine. They were not, they weren't doing well under Ukrainian government. And they're going, you know, maybe we need to try our hand with Russia again. That's never explained anything that goes out here. But understand, these two areas, they wanted to become Russia again in 2014. And Moscow said, hang tight. We don't want to do that just yet. Well, then you have a year of violence. And what happened was the Ukraines tried to come back and take these areas and a lot of bloodshed. Matter of fact, there was a jet that was shot down over this area that made a mistake of flying over this area. I mean, there was a lot of bloodshed. France and Germany come up with an agreement that can get France, Germany, Ukraine, and Russia to come together and basically recognize that these portions of Ukraine, while Ukraine by name, are now special sovereign sects and separate regions within Ukraine. So what did they do to do this? Well, they got this thing called the, basically, <laughs> they come out of it with a, an agreement that effectively makes it where they get special, they get special privileges, folks. They get where they can effectively, they've come out here and they said, here's what you've got to understand. We've got all this going on. We want to be separate. We want to go through. And when they basically ended this conflict, okay, there was the ceasefire, pullback of heavy weapons. But the separatists basically, here's what they got out of it. Um, they had a degree of self-rule. Certain things had to be in place that Ukraine would have to agree to for those separatist regions, whether they liked it or not. It's a major political victory for for Russia, okay? This is in 2015. Now let's roll the clock ahead. Eight years later, seven years later, whatever the difference is right now. 
those regions are getting shelled by Ukraine. That's right. You're not hearing this portion of it in the news. I know because we're talking with people over in that region. They're getting shelled. They're not getting good economic benefit. They have problems. They have medical problems. And those two regions that had already declared allegiance to Russia, that had already had votes, allegiance to Russia, that are separatists by a treaty, want to become part of Russia again, but they also need help from Russia. Also, you have to keep in mind, when Ukraine signed that treaty, they were not supposed to get out and go out and get any type of weapon systems uh, from any type of foreign governments. We now know that they did. The U.S. sold them some. So Ukraine has been in violation of this treaty they signed in 2015. So you have these two outliers that said, hey, we, you know, Putin, Mr. Putin, we want to come home. We told you this eight years ago. For whatever reason, you're not doing it. Yeah, I know we've got a treaty, but they're not honoring it. Will you help us? Now, I tell you this because last week, what happened? Or was it earlier this week? I lose my track of days. Vladimir Putin came out and gave legal recognition by Russia to these segments as independent states. That's very important because it's a legal precedent. Remember, there's been a vote. Even though Moscow didn't take it at the time, it was lodged with the UN that these sectors want to go to Russia. So that's already lodged in the UN. Now, we know that they're being bombed by Ukrainian. We didn't know at the time that they were using non-Ukrainian system, but that was pretty easy to deduce. So what does Putin do? For three months, they're crawling out to him. One of the things he wanted to do before he went in is he wanted to survey the field. What has Vladimir Putin been telling the world since 2007? He doesn't want the NATO alliance encroaching his borders any more than it already does, which means he looks as if Ukraine went to NATO, since that was little Russia, that that's part of them, even though it's separate, that's, that's their brothers and cousins. He looked at it as an act of war, and the man's been serious about it. This was on the table for Joe Biden to go and say, you know what, we really don't want Ukraine in NATO. We're not really going to play that hand. Let's take it off the table. Joe Biden, or should I say Joe Fool, had that in his deck and he didn't play it. He didn't play it. I don't know why, but he didn't. So, what does Mr. Putin do for three months? He gets his troops ready. He, level, he assesses what's going on. He gets intel from the inside that the Ukraines are, in fact, violating the treaty and hurting the people in these two sectors. He crosses all of his T's and dots, all of his I's. And this week, he pulled the trigger. And he told people, we're going in here as peacekeeping. If you fire on us, we're coming after you. That's what he told everybody, and he didn't mince words. He basically said, stay out of it. Don't bother me. Let me do my job. Now, why did he do that? Because he views those sections of Ukraine as Russian, just like Crimea. That's not Crimea anymore. That's Russia. It may be the region 
formerly called Crimea, but that's Russia. These two segments in Ukraine, he looked at as Russians. He looked at it as Russian citizens. He looked at it as Russians that are simply on a different name of land, and he's going to treat them and protect them. That's why he came out and said, we're going to go in here in peacekeeping. Nobody better fire on us, because if you do, hell's going to be to pay. They indeed go in to do peacekeeping, medical, and what happens? They get fired on. And we've seen the rest. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that somewhere there wasn't a plan going, yeah, we're going to go in there, we're going to peacekeep, but these guys are not going to be able to resist the, chance, the, the opportunity. Uh, we better have a, you know, a plan when they do hit us of what we're going to do. And I'm pretty sure that that was out there. I guarantee you they didn't go into this Pollyanna, oh, well, they're not going to hit us. They're going through. He knew, he knew exactly what was going on because I'm going to tell you right now, in the game of chess, Vladimir Putin was at checkmate before he ever stepped into Ukraine's separatist regions. He knew what his moves were. He knew what the other side's moves were. He had everything and everybody by the short and curlies. And legally, what's going to come out, and it's already been coming through the UN today, what's going to be found is he's not done anything wrong. Now, I know for some of you right now, that probably just blew your mind, and you're going, well, well Darren, that just, that just can't be right. We just can't go blah, 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 blah. I mean, I guarantee you there's, there's – I know some of you right now vomited on yourself. You go, well, well, those poor Ukrainians, this is terrible. They're just going through. Let me tell you something. Um, the Ukrainians will be fine whether Russia takes their or whether Ukraine takes them. And you'll notice he stopped advancing. There's been minimal loss of life. He's hit military targets. This one can come in. This has been very calculated, folks. And our government knew what was going on and didn't have the brass nads and or the uh, intelligence capability to sit down and say, look, Vlad, we see where this is going. How, how do we avoid this? And, it, and then here's the worst part. He told them what to do, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Mm. Now, I don't know if they had taken NATO off the table if he still comes in or if he says, we got a situation with the separatists here, we, we got to make him Russia or I got to go in. But that card wasn't played. So let's talk about the fact that President Biden unilaterally has moved thousands of troops into Germany and Poland to get ready to fight Russia. Then, of course, comes out and says, well, we will not engage Russia on Ukrainian soil. Let's talk about where does that come from? Does he have, I mean, there's, there's a question of a legitimate question of authority and why this was done because, folks, we got to look at there's agreements in place to handle things. And the first one you got to look at is okay, is this a NATO action? Because the United States is part of NATO, let's call it the propping up uh, portion of NATO. Is this a NATO operation? And the answer is no. Because Ukraine is not a NATO member. Haven't been. I promise you, never will be. So then you might go, okay, um, 
is there something else out there that maybe we're missing that might bring us to the table? Okay, let's go back to 1994 when Ukraine was willing to give up as part of its independence and coming into the international community, when they were willing to give up the nuclear uh, arms that they had from the former Soviet Union, from the Cold War, uh, they were willing to give that up. And this was basically done under a thing called the Budapest Memorandum. Okay. Now, the Budapest Memorandum was, it, it's, it's not a treaty because it was never ratified by the United States or Russia or U Ukraine. It was just, they signed. In other words, they didn't go back to their governing bodies at that time, which in our case is a Senate, um, and effectively get it ratified. But it was, a, it was a commitment letter, okay? And the commitment letter effectively, here's what it came out, that the United States, Russia, and Ukraine, and actually the UK was part of it, Pledge to respect the independence and sovereignty and the existing borders of Ukraine. Memo went on to reaffirm the obligations to refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of U Ukraine. The signatories also reaffirmed their commitment to seek immediate UN Security Council action to provide assistance to Ukraine if Ukraine should become a victim of an act of aggression. These assurances were upheld under UN Charter of the 1975 Helsinki Final Act. Now, key words, refrain from threat or use of force against territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine. What did the United States do in 2014? They tried to mess with the political independence of Ukraine by trying to do some things to pull them into the European Union. That was against that. Now, again, this is, this is not a real legal document, but it's fair to ask, what's the significance of that? Okay? That's what triggered Putin's response in 2014. The U.S. trying to monkey with Ukraine. So this goes back a ways, folks. Now, you've got a treaty signed in 2015 that we know now that Ukraine has been in violation of where they've not been keeping their end of the bargain for the separatist sect. When you get all the facts and you look at everything, you start going, okay, so then why do we have troops massing over there? It's not NATO. This says... If something happens, you take it to the UN Security Council. Last time I checked, the UN, the UN has UN troops. So it's not a NATO action. This agreement could bring it to the UN, but it's not been brought. I mean, they're discussing it at the UN right now, but America didn't go to the UN and said, hey, this is happening. We need to bring troops in from the UN per this agreement. That didn't happen. So the question that must be begged is why did Joe Biden authorize the movement of troops to be prepared to defend this action? 
It's not the War Powers Act. We know where the War Powers Act goes in. He has to get permission, you know, from Congress. If he's not, if it's not for military action, why move them there? I'm not saying you can't move troops around. He most certainly can. He's a commander in chief. But if you want to do a military exercise, there's lots of other places that aren't hot zones. Someone's going to have to give me a realistic reason why Joe Fool moved troops. And folks, there's only one reason that you can come to when you come through all the deductions. This was to protect a cash cow of the illegal influence that's been going on for the last eight years that started under the Obama administration and now trying to keep it going under the Biden administration. All those politicos whose sons and daughters are on Ukrainian energy company boards pulling in monies that are probably being laundered. This is gone. One of the things that has come out of this, and there's a question, if you go and you look up Ukrainian assets, uh, and when I say assets, in other words, they're natural uh, oil and gas deposits. There's a certain amount that they're, they're lodged with that they recognize. There's been a question of whether or not those are actually their assets. Um, sometime in the last 12 months, there's been accusations out of Russia by Vladimir Putin that the Ukrainians have been doing some directional drilling into their land and pulling minerals out to the point where part of the reason he was coming in was to find this pipeline, supposed pipeline, and cap it. Allegedly, that's been done. I can't find it, can't verify it, but it's coming out of that end of the globe. If that's true, what does that do to this conversation? There's a lot that we're not getting here in the United States. But the one question we have to ask ourselves is, is why has Joe Biden, instead of taking a peaceful route that he's had for three months, now all of a sudden moving troops, I can't see an agreement that's you know, going through He's Putin's not going into Poland. He's not he's not doing an Article five trigger where one of the NATO countries he's going into hasn't even come anywhere near it. And Ukraine is not a NATO nation. Under this other agreement that has to go back to the U.N. Security Council, that hasn't happened. Why are American troops there? This must be asked to members of Congress. They have to find out. And ultimately, when the truth comes out, if it's an abuse of power, he must be removed from office, period. Whether it's via 20, 25th Amendment, whether it's via impeachment, Joe Biden appears to have gone back and committed another crime. And let's follow that up with sanctions. Where in the hell does Joe Biden get off thinking that he can shut the world down? And let me explain my statement. By coming out and trying to say, well, we're going to sanction and punish any company that does business with a Russian company or purchase of Russian products, that right there, ladies and gentlemen, almost blew our kneecaps out. You see, for a long period of time, Russia has and is the largest supplier of refined products on the planet. What I mean when I say refined products. I'm talking gasoline, jet fuel, diesel. They're the number one producing country of crude oil. 
crude oil is then refined and turned into these various products. But here's a little known factor that most people don't know. And this one's going to make you a little mad, okay? See, right now, he's the reason that he's taking the, the world to the woodshed and he's getting everything is this goes back decades. There's things that have been happening for decades people don't know about. See, in the late 70s, the Saudi royal family brought a proposal to then POTUS Jimmy Cotta, whereby Saudi would invest and pay for the U.S. to build refineries multiple on U.S. soil to refine Saudi crude. Do you understand what the impact would have been economically for our nation? Huge, huge, okay? And the, here's the reason why. Our economy and the amount of fuel that we use right now, we don't have the refining capacity. Forget production. We don't have the refining capacity to refine enough fuel just for our own needs. That's why we import fuel. When we were producing enough crude, we could have that refined and brought back, but we don't have enough refinery production. This would have solved that because Mr. Peanut passed. You know who didn't pass? Soviet Secretary Leonid Brezhnev. Oh, yeah. Comrade Brezhnev said, bring it on. And that goes back to the investments that were made in Russian refineries. I said earlier in the, in the podcast, that money didn't come from Russia. That money came from Saudi Arabia. 90% of all Saudi crude right now goes to Russia to be refined for sale. 86% of the gasoline that we put in our cars today is Russian refined gasoline. Russia globally produces 90% of the refined products that are used on the globe. That's for aviation. Uh, that goes into ships rail, cars, you name it. It's from Russia. So when Mr. <clears throat> Joe Fool comes out and says, well, well we're going we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna to put in these uh, 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 corn pop, I mean, these, uh, these sanctions against Russia, we're going to take them down. No, he wasn't. First off, there's two reasons. There's actually international law that you cannot put sanctions on products that affect aviation, Humanitarian needs, medical, fuel, excuse me, medical or food. You can't do it. It's international law. Well, guess what? The products that Russia sells impact all of those. The only thing it could have done is put a restriction on crude oil. If they put a restriction on crude oil, that affects everything else because refined products are made from crude oil. The other reason this wasn't going to work is what I'm just explaining to you. Mr. Putin controls the tap and the spigot. He can shut it off. He's got close to $700 billion he's reserved to ride this little puppy out. Folks, if Vladimir Putin wants to, he can go... You know, that's not the tiger in your tank. It's a Russian bear, but I'm going to shut off the bear. He can bring us to our knees and we, and he doesn't have to fire a shot. Not one shot. Oh, yeah. He's got, he's, he's taking the world to the woodshed. He's got everybody by the short and curlies. 
There's nothing that can be done to Vladimir Putin. Now, fortunately, Putin's a profit guy. He wants the money for Russia. He wants to do Russia first. And what we're seeing happening right now and what you see playing out in the U.N., he's not the bad guy. But the question is, how in the hell did we allow this thing to be built out this way in the first place? How does one country have so much control over the energy? You see, a couple of things that are coming to light is there's a true cost right now that's coming out of green energy. And the reality is, and I'm not against green energy, but I'm a realist in green energy. Green energy is not going to replace fossil fuels at this current point of millennia in its technological development. It's just not going to. It's very land intensive. It's very condition intensive. And it's just not there. That doesn't mean it may not be there in 10, 15, 100 years. And you keep developing it. But right now, when we've got hundreds of years of supply of coal, of natural gas, and the ability to bring out products and refine them, we don't want dirty oil, or excuse me, dirty air, or dirty water, but there's ways to do this now. This goes back, ladies and gentlemen, realistically 40 years for the green crowd that's wanted to say, well, we don't want it done this way. And they, they started out saying, well, it's for the greater good of the planet. And in the 70s, we needed to make some changes, and we did. Then it went from, from the greater good of the planet to, well, it just needs to be done because, well, we don't want to be reliant on fossil fuels. Well, that's a misnomer. You are reliant on fossil fuels until a better, more available technology comes out to replace it or supplement it or transition out of it. And that very well will happen. It's not going to happen in our lifetime. Now, they're saying, well, electric cars are the answer. Folks, electric cars are a potential possibility. But let's forget about the fact that when you invest in an electric car, you're investing in a process of batteries that rapes the world worse than the drilling of fuels. And yes, it does. Let's, let's try to put aside the second that we don't have the electrical grid capacity here or anywhere else in the world to take every vehicle and snap them and make them electric. It's not there. You've got to build that out. And what's happened is this crowd is told everybody, well, we got to get away from it. And you've had countries that have been shutting down coal-fired plants, reliable coal. Now everybody's, well, it's dirty. Is this, well, it has been, but it doesn't have to be. There's ways to capture the pollution so it doesn't pollute. We've got the lar world's largest reserves. Why not use them? There's a way to cap it, make it work. They want to come after natural gas. You can't come after natural. we got to have it. Use those. Develop electrical, but you've got to use those. And then they come out and say, well, we want we think nuclear is the path. And I like nukes, don't get me wrong. But a lot of nations have started shutting down their nuclear because, well, they, they have a problem with the afterlife or this, this, and this. And that and now they're having to go back and fire them up or fire up old stuff because the renewables can't hack it. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If we decide that we want to go all nuclear in the United States and wipe out the fossil fuel industry, let's say you went down that path, just completely ignoring the economic re repercussions from that. We don't control the fissionable material for the plants. And when I say fissionable material, I'm talking about the thing that makes nuclear nuclear. We don't. That particular material, Russia 
controls. <laughs> and is controlled predominantly because of some bad decisions made from prior administration, really the Obama administration. So if you go nuclear, you're back to the same problem. You got to buy it from somebody else. Now, there is a product called thorium that is we're predominantly producing it here in the United States, but there are no active thorium uh, nuclear reactors out there. And, and it's been poo-pooed on by the nuclear energy that for some reason they don't like it, even though I've not found a problem with it. So what I'm trying to tell you is electric is not the solution right now. It could be part of the solution, but it's not there. And the reason I bring this up is because we have allowed this segment of people to make us feel guilty, to beat us up on what was part of the great industrial revolution that brought on a whole nother level of standards of living, of medicine, things that made us where we are today so we can have these silly conversations. And instead of finding ways to fix what is wrong with them from a ozone or pollution standpoint, they want to change it completely. And folks, it's no longer about saving the planet. It's about controlling energy. You see, something that hasn't been talked about, right now the reason that Joe Biden doesn't really care if it goes to five, six, seven, eight dollars a gallon because he wants you paying extremely high prices at the pump so he could go, mm-hmm, see, told you. But if you were part charging up, why you wouldn't be paying that. Well, let's look at the history real quick. The last time we were in gas price ranges this, this high, 2014, when all this stuff was going down with Ukraine, under the Obama administration, when Joe Biden was vice president. You want to keep paying extremely high energy prices when you don't have to. And we know for a fact that if we do our own energy production, it won't be that way because President Trump proved it. But if you don't like that, you want to pay these energy prices. You keep voting for those loons that, that want to do it. Bottom line, folks, it's time to take these people that have told you we must drop fossil fuel, we must go green, we must have the Green New Deal now, we don't have to, we, it's time to start slapping them in the face, figuratively and literal if necessary, because these traders are trying, they have been trying over the last four decades to get rid of our energy independence, and they've damn near done it, get rid of our manufacturing base, and make us dependent on the rest of the world so that we are no longer a leader. And they've almost succeeded. We've come on the brink, but you know what? Almost succeeded is not succeeded. The reality is we still have great capability of energy independence. We've got coal. We've got all the things that we need. So we've got the, the basics there. We've got the necessary ability to go in and produce everything that we need from a manufacturing standpoint. Folks, we got to bring manufacturing away from China back home. I haven't even had a chance to address Taiwan. Um, that's going to be for another show. But we have the capability to produce the energy that we need cleanly, responsibly. Don't want to hurt our country. Don't want to hurt the air and the water. We can do it. The technology's there. The people want to spend the money to get it done right. I'm going to tell you a little story. I told you about the story about the Saudis approaching the U.S. in the late 70s. In the last five years, that happened again. They approached, I know because it's a friend of mine that worked, helped work the deal, the State 
of Oregon to create a refining facility and port to bring goods in and out. Would have spent all the money in the world, make sure it had been the finest environmentally safe facility. Governor of that state said, oh, I'm sorry, the state of Washington, pardon me, not Oregon, Washington, uh, basically said, pass. That's got to stop. I'm, I'm an environmental guy. I love the environment, but there's ways that we can do both. And these people that are dictating the conversation, you've now seen what happens when you take away all of your energy independence and you keep farming it out and you keep giving away these components and you're saying, well, this energy source can do it when it can't. You're helping to build and construct what could be a potential energy monster of another state that can and will control your lives. This didn't happen overnight. It, Russia didn't become the number one producer of energy globally overnight. Policy and laws were passed and things were done that put the motion and the wheels spinning in place where we have the situation we have today. We've got to have more refining capacity in the United States. And I'm not saying stop the development of green energy. Continue to develop it, refine it, make it better, make it more competitive. But use the elements and the tools that we have, improve them, make them more efficient, be sure they're environmentally friendly, get our energy independence, bring back our manufacturing, and put up a tariff wall against any other country that wants to come in and tear out our manufacturing base. It's got to be America first, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm going to tell you right now, the globalists, they're going down. You're gonna, there's other countries that believe that they should be first. China wants to be first. Russia wants to be first. Well, you know what? I want America first. And the only way that's going to happen is if you and I get involved in that. Well, I'm running out of time. It's been a great show today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the message. Each week, I like to come out and we like to, to get involved. I, I'm sorry I didn't open up the phone lines today. We'll do that one of the times. It just This is a very important message to get out so you have the full impact of the story. My name is Darren Yancey. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast here on Voice America. Uh, this is the live version. It'll be available for download within the next few hours. And I want you to have a blessed week. I'll be back next week with another message. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share then.